Welcome to Trinity University's Learning Together podcast series. I'm Nathan Cohn, class of 1995, your host. I work at Texas Public Radio in San Antonio, where we sometimes characterize what NPR does as the nation's biggest continuing education course. That's why I'm excited to be introducing this series featuring faculty, alumni, and other distinguished guests who've established themselves as experts in their fields. Today, you'll enjoy a conversation about the book Intangibles, The Unexpected Traits of High-Performing Leaders by Dr. Amr Kaisi, professor of healthcare administration, Trinity University. So what is unique to Norway? Well, according to the director of the Norway's Olympic team, their secret is no jerks. They have zero tolerance for jerks in Norway. This is the first of a three-part podcast conversation. Today's focus is on humility. Joining in the conversation with Professor Kaisi is current student Janie Thompson, class of 2018 and 2020. Hey, I am Amr Kaisi. I'm a professor of healthcare administration, and I recently wrote a book about leadership. Hi, I'm Janie Thompson, and I am a first-year student of healthcare administration who's recently read Dr. Kaisi's new book, and we're going to talk today with him about the development of this book and the ideas behind it. So I know that you're a big sports fan and that obviously, like you said, you teach healthcare administration. So growing up an athlete myself and being a captain of a soccer team, I'm now developing myself as a healthcare leader. So I was wondering what some of the parallels between sports teams and organizations are that you've seen. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And, and obviously there are a lot of parallels between um, sports and organizations and business. And let me ask you, did you watch the Winter Olympics recently? Yes, I saw a lot yeah, of them. I've, I've enjoyed the Winter Olympics. I watched it with my family. It was great games. And, and um, what I noticed was there was a one country, you know, a small country that dominated the Olympic Games. Do you know who got the most medals at the recent Olympic Games? I can't say that I do, actually. Yeah, well, you know, most people can't remember it because it was a very small country called Norway um, that got huh. more medals than Germany, Canada, and the United States. So as I was watching the games, I started asking myself, you know, how, how does a small country like this, a tiny country like Norway, just crush the competition at the mm-hmm. Winter Olympics? You know, Norway has 5 million people. It's the size of Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, really small country. So what, what is the secret to their success? You know, as, as a professor, these things interest me. So I started looking into it and I started looking at what, what could be some of the reasons why Norway is so successful. And, and the usual stuff came up, you know, maybe they have favorable weather, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe they have modern training techniques, or maybe their genetics just happen to be so strong, they're natural athletes. And all of these may apply, but, but they're not really unique to Norway. So what is unique to Norway? Well, according to the director of the Norway's Olympic team, their secret is no jerks. Hmm. They have zero tolerance for jerks in Norway, especially when it comes to sports. It doesn't matter how much talent you have. It doesn't matter how much skills you have. You're not going to make the team if you're a jerk. So what do you have to do? You have to um, show that you are humble, that you're a team player, Mm -hmm. that you're collaborative, you have integrity and respect for others. So, you know, no jerks is really a, a good hashtag. <laughs> it should have been the title of my book. Instead, it's called Intangibles, mm-hmm. the Unexpected Traits of High-Performing Healthcare Leaders. So with your interest in humility and in leaders specifically, um, and as a young healthcare professional myself, looking to become a leader, there's a lot of books out there that are on leadership. So why did you decide to write a book about leadership? Right, yeah, I, I, I feel like you're asking me, did the world really need another leadership book? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, maybe not, maybe not, but um, what I noticed was while there are a lot of leadership books out there, 
there aren't enough evidence-based leadership books out there. So, you know, most leadership books, is, as you know, are based on personal opinion, right. personal experiences. And what I wanted to see is what does the evidence say about the traits of highly effective leaders? Mm-hmm. Healthcare leaders, but also more generally, applies to all industries. And what, what the evidence says is the best leaders are those that show humility, compassion, mm-hmm. kindness, and generosity. However, these traits are not enough by themselves. They have to be complemented with ambition, competence, accountability, and strength. Mm-hmm. And um, in the book, I make this case not, not based on my opinion or my personal experience, but rather based on what, what the research says and what, what the evidence says. Awesome. So with all of those traits that are important to being a good leader, why did you choose to specifically focus on the topic of humility? You know, I, I came across some research um, not so long ago the, by the Harvard Graduate School of Education that um, interviewed middle school and high, co- high school students. They interviewed about 30,000 of them from all over the United States. And they asked them one simple question. They said, what is most important to you? About 48% of the middle school and high school students said it was achievement. About 30% said it's happiness. And only 22% said it was caring for others. So that really got me concerned, you know, as an educator, mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, these are the same students that we're gonna have in our university, in our graduate programs. These are the same people who are gonna be leading our organizations in the near future. And the fact that only one in five cares about others really got me concerned. So mm-hmm. I, I started doing some more digging into this and I, I found evidence that narcissism, which is the opposite of caring for others, is actually on the rise among younger Americans. There, there's research documenting it going back to the mm-hmm. early 90s and, it, and, and it's, it's a, you know, the curve is increasing in terms of narcissism. Empathy is also on the decline. Now, as you know, narcissism, the, the term narcissism comes from the um, Greek god Narcissus, right? Who, remember mm-hmm. he, the story, he fell in love with his own reflection <laughs> in the water. Um, you know, I, I see that happening around us everywhere with, with people falling in love with their own reflection, right? With the mm-hmm. selfie phenomenon. Oh, yeah. and, and just for the fun of it, let me share with you some facts about selfies. Um, especially among millennials. No offense, Janie, no offense, Janie all right? Um, it, it takes about seven minutes for a millennial to take a selfie. That wow. includes um, taking the picture and then looking at it and possibly retaking it, mm-hmm. posting it on social media, finding Easy the right- between 10 filters. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Find, you know, finding the right emoji and the right uh, um, you know, caption and then finally posting it. So that's an hour of selfie taking per right. week. Wow for 26,000 <laughs> selfies per lifetime. I mean, it's, it's a lot of mm-hmm. time. And, and that just gives an idea that, that, you know, not just this generation, but all of us are more self-centered these days. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get, you know, start panicking about this, this despite this increase in narcissism and, and decrease in empathy among younger Americans, humility, surprisingly, is making a comeback in business and in leadership. Um, not so long ago, the Wall Street Journal talked about um, you know, how the biggest companies in the United States, the boards are now looking for humble leaders. Hmm. Harvard Business Review in, in research published in, in 2014 said that the best leaders are humble leaders. I have a, I'm gonna make a lot of book suggestions uh, in, in mm-hmm. this podcast. <laughs> uh, one of them is a great book um, called Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. And in, in the book, Holiday talks about the importance of being humble in our aspirations. And he, he talks about you know being gracious in success and resilient in failure, but especially being humble in our aspirations. So we're seeing that more and more um, 
um, experts and and um, you know publications are focusing on the importance of humility in in management and in leadership. So, when trying to become more of a humble leader, who are some examples of humble leaders today that we can look to? You know, when when you think of humility and and the origin of the word itself, it, the origin is, comes from the Greek humus. And, and this is different from the hummus, right? The Middle Eastern <laughs> dip. Um, <laughs> humus, it means being close to the ground or close to the earth. So the leaders that are closer to the ground or to the earth are those that, that demonstrate humble leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and that means being close to your employees. One, one example that comes to mind is um, a guy by the name of Jim Senegal, who was the CEO of Costco. You know, huge organization, obviously. But, but Senegal did not have an office in the headquarters. You know, every day he would be traveling to a different Costco store, just going out there, talking to the employees. And, and when he showed up, it wasn't a big deal. It is, uh, you know, his, his name tag said Jim, okay? It didn't say, I'm your leader, I'm your, your king, I'm your you know, supreme leader. <laughs> it just said Jim. And, and he would just go there and talk to the employees and ask them about their concerns and how they, he can improve their work processes and, and their work satisfaction and stuff like that. And not surprisingly, Costco under his, his leadership did really, really well and outperformed all of its competitors. Um, to go back to sports, um, another example from sports, um, you remember the Butler Bulldogs? Right. Um, the, the small school from Indianapolis mm-hmm. who, who reached the final four two years in a row and, and they had you know the really young coach, Brad Stevens, who, who mm-hmm. broke a lot of records and, and um, won a lot of games with them. You know, if you go back to their secret, Again, the secret was what they called the Butler way. The, their values included stuff like humility, passion, unity, servanthood, and thankfulness. So when it comes to humility, for example, they, their emphasis was for every player to know who, the, who we are and, and to know what your strengths and what your weaknesses are. So there are a lot of evidence that when humility is part of the leadership behavior and part of the DNA of the organization, um, great results can be achieved. Right. So when you're looking towards leaders that are humble and trying to emulate what they do, what does it exactly mean to be a humble leader? You know, there, there are a lot of different ways to think about humility in, in leadership. Um, one approach is, is to focus on leaders that are authentic, that are teachable, that are transparent, and that are humane. And let me explain what I mean by that. So an, an authentic leader is someone that admits that he or she has made, has made a mistake mm-hmm. and asks their team members for their patience. A, a teachable leader is someone who admits being wrong when they make a wrong decision or, or they mess up and they ask for forgiveness. Um, they're also transparent in that they realize that they don't know what they don't know and, and they don't make um, decisions uh, pretending to know things because that can lead to, to negative consequences. So they ask for their team members' ideas. They're constantly looking for, for other suggestions. And finally, a, a humble leader is someone who's humane, who admits that she can't do it all by herself and, and needs the talents, needs the ideas of, of her team members. So as I said, you know, being humble in leadership is being authentic, teachable, transparent, and humane. However, and this is a very important point that, that I like to emphasize, is, is being humble is not being weak. Being humble is not mean lack of confidence or lack of ambition or low assertiveness. On the opposite, being humble is being strong, being able to have difficult conversations, being accountable, but doing that in a way that is not aggressive in your way over the top. Mm-hmm. Hello, this is Danny Anderson, president of Trinity University. 
Thank you for listening to the Learning Together podcast series brought to you by Trinity's Office of Alumni Relations and Development and produced here on campus by our friends at KRTU 91.7 FM. We're so glad you tuned in today and we appreciate your continued support of lifelong learning at Trinity University. Welcome back to the Learning Together podcast from Trinity University. I'm Nathan Cohn. Let's return to our conversation with Dr. Amr Kaisi and Janie Thompson on humility. So how do we know then that humble leaders are better than non-humble leaders? Yeah, you're right. You know, you're, you're, as I promised earlier, that's going to be evidence-based, right? Not, not mm-hmm. based on opinion. That's based on, on um, you know, personal experiences. Where, where does the evidence um, come from? The first piece of evidence comes from a great management book that, that many of the listeners may be familiar with called Good to Great by Jim Collins. Mm-hmm. And, and what Collins and his team did was they studied organizations, not, not healthcare, but all types of different organizations over a long period of time. And they wanted to see which organizations outperformed everyone else in terms of their financial performance in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Okay? And they, based on their research, they identified 11 organizations that, that really outperformed everyone that, that went from good to great, as they describe it. And when they looked at what is common between those organizations, there were a lot of different things. But one of them is they had a specific type of leaders called level five leaders. Mm-hmm. And what, what is a level five leader? A level five leader is someone who has a blend of personal humility with fierce determination and professional will. So these leaders were not what you expect in terms of, of the diva leaders, right? The superstars who walk in the room and has the chari- have the charisma mm-hmm. and command the room. On the opposite, these were modest, humble individuals, but they were really strong individuals who made bold decisions and took their organizations to very high performance. One example is, is a guy called Darwin Smith, um, who was the um, CEO of Kimberly-Clark, a large consumer products company. and, and Smith was um, a poor farm town boy, you know, he put himself through college, and then he was working at Kimberly-Clark when the board chose him to become CEO. And again, he had this, this um, almost shy demeanor about himself, but that, that didn't mean that he was weak. He made some very bold decisions, strategic decisions to put the, compan- the company on the path to success, and finally took it to become one of the largest companies in the world. You know, at his retirement, they asked him what, what was your secret for the secret for your success. And he said, I never stopped trying to become qualified for the job. So he always thought of himself as learning how to do the job better. And, and that was why he reached high mm-hmm. performance. Um, now this, you know, Get to Grade was published in 2001. So it's been a while. And, and some of the organizations are now out of business. So do we have some, some more, um, you know, recent evidence? Yeah, there's a lot of evidence. I'll, I'll share a few um, pieces of research. Um, there was a study of, of a large Midwestern health services organization where they interviewed hundreds of employees and they asked them to rate their immediate supervisor, um, whether their, their immediate supervisor is humble or not. And the way they defined, you know, if your leader is humble is whether um, she perceives herself accurately, whether she displays appreciation of other strengths and contributions, whether she is a teachable person like we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And, and those employees that rated their leader as humble were happier at work, were less likely to leave the organization. Mm. They felt more empowered and they performed better individually as well as in teams. So as, as you see, Jane, you know, this, this whole issue of humble leaders is, is not just about, you know, 
a good quality to have, you know, right. is, but rather it, it really is a competitive advantage for organizations. You know, when your employees are happier and less likely to leave, when, when they're feeling empowered, mm-hmm. when they're performing better, that's all a competitive advantage for the organization. So it's not just about some warm and fuzzy feeling, mm-hmm. but it's about actual outcomes that all organizations are tracking these days, such as employee turnover and productivity and empowerment and stuff like that. Right. So now, since we know that humble leaders are oftentimes high performers, where does that leave narcissistic leaders who we also oftentimes consider to be high performing leaders? Yeah. And, and I'm sure we both have some examples in our minds of, of you know, those, those big ego um, CEOs or leaders that have right. achieved a lot of um, um, good, good performance and, and success. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, back to the research. What does the research tell us about narcissists? Mm-hmm. Narcissists initially, because they are self-promoting, because they are confident, they tend to be extroverted, entertaining, they tend to be chosen more for leadership positions. That's what the evidence tells us. But this is only initially. Over time, in the long term, because narcissists are self-centered and tend to be arrogant, cold, they are poor managers. They're not really good team players. So over time, narcissists are viewed as ineffective leaders by the people who work with them. So what this tells us is that there are two things happening here. There's something called leadership emergence, which is very different from leadership effectiveness. Now to better understand the traits that that affect emergence versus effectiveness, we we need to look at a very complex management theory called the chocolate cake model, (laughs) right? So the chocolate cake model tells us that that um, dealing with a narcissistic leader mm-hmm. is very similar to eating a chocolate cake. Have you ever tried to eat a whole chocolate cake? Yes, I, I can say that I have. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so Didn't go well. If, if, you, if you start by eating, you know, a big moist chocolate cake, the first few bites are amazing, right? The, the, yes. the, the texture, the richness of the flavor, it's mm-hmm. so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, as you eat more and more of that chocolate cake and you're, you know, at your third slice or fifth slice or you're finishing the cake, you're, you're starting to feel nauseous, right? right. <laughs> this is the same experience as dealing with a narcissistic leader. Um, the first few encounters with that person may be great because mm-hmm. they have this charismatic personality, they're entertaining, they're charming. But then as you work with them over and over and over, over you know months and months, mm-hmm. you're gonna start feeling the same feeling as you <laughs> feel when you're eating a whole chocolate cake. So it's it's not really a good experience. Right. So obviously, as an as an employee, you wouldn't want your boss to be this type of narcissistic leader. But there are narcissistic leaders out there that are um, seemingly successful. So are there situations where narcissism narcissism can be effective? Yeah. Yeah. There actually are some specific situations, some unique situations where narcissism can be an advantage. And again, back to the research, they, they did a study of large companies in, in the United States under the 2007 economic crisis. Okay, So mm-hmm. during that time when, when the whole economy was in chaos, they found that firms that had narcissistic CEOs actually performed better during the crisis. That's a, that's oh. a little bit surprising, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but But the explanation for that is, you know, narcissists have no empathy when making unpopular decisions. And under situations of crisis, sometimes you have to make unpopular decisions. So you may have to lay off people or close branches or stuff like that. So in in these times of chaos and radical change, lack of empathy can actually be a strength. And and a narcissist finds it easier than other personality type to say buy and sell companies or close facilities, lay off employees, those decisions that make people angry and sad. However, 
the research tells us that it's only under these unique situations where narcissism can be um, an advantage. The majority of other times, um, it's actually the humble leaders that perform better. Um, as, as I was doing research for the book, I, I did a study in healthcare organizations and I asked um, employees and, and directors and, and executives about, you know, what, what, how would they describe the least successful leader that they've ever dealt with? And the top five traits used by people were someone who blames others, someone who is self-focused, inconsiderate, arrogant, and insensitive. So all of these are traits of narcissistic leaders and, and um, the respondents agreed that these were the traits that describe the least successful um, leaders. A lot of times when talking about leadership styles, people are quick to bring up Steve Jobs in particular because he wasn't necessarily the nicest boss around, at least from stories and anecdotes, um, but he was eventually fired and then brought back on staff because of his expertise. So could he be an example where he was somewhat of a tyrant and still got great things done? Yeah, the example of Steve Jobs, right? That that comes up every time you talk about leaders. And, and you know, there, there's no denying that, that um, Steve Jobs was a genius, right? I mean, mm -hmm. what he did for many industries is, is undeniable and, and has impacted our lives in, in a very positive way. But yeah, as you said, I mean, there are a lot of examples that, that show that Jobs was not the nicest person. Right. You can actually call him a jerk. <laughs> um, now, what I ask, you know, the way I think about this is, is was he successful because he was a jerk or despite being a jerk, mm -hmm. okay? And I, I tend to believe that it's the latter, that, you know, j just think of how much more he could have achieved if he was just a little bit more humble, mm -hmm. if he treated people a little bit better, right? So that, that's my first point. The, the other point that I would make here is that even Jobs himself, when he was fired from Apple the first time around mm -hmm. and he started Pixar, you know, his, his other company, there's evidence that he became much more humble. He, he had to face himself and he decided to change a little bit. And then when he went back to Apple in his second stint, there's evidence that he was more humble, he listened more, and he had less tantrums. So, you know, even Steve Jobs, learned to become just a little bit less self-centered and a little bit more um, humble and, and kinder to others. So for somebody who could potentially be working for someone like Steve Jobs, mm -hmm. where they're in a place that their boss is somewhat of a narcissist or a jerk, is there a way that's more appropriate or better to deal with a situation like that? Yeah, that, that, that is definitely a tough situation. You know, if it's a colleague or, or you know, someone that you work with, um, every now and then it may not be a big deal, but if it's your direct boss, your supervisor, I mean, that's, that's a tough situation. So w what are different ways that we can deal with, with the boss? I, I believe, and, and there's a lot of um, you know, evidence that supports that, that the most important thing when dealing with such type of boss is you need to be composed. You can't show fear, you can't show anger, you, 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 you can't show any kind of emotion, but you have to be in control of, of, of yourself. And, and, you know, I'm gonna, suggest a few things, not to say that any of these is, is a fail-proof. They're definitely, some of them are, are high-risk strategies, but, but maybe um, a combination of these may, may help. So the first strategy that, that you can think of when dealing with someone like this is, is what is typically referred to as the soothe strategy. So just try to soothe them, you know, stroke their ego. If, if they, you know, erupt or they yell, you can say, you know, I can see how that sets you off, or, or you know, you need to know that I care about this as much as you do. However, you can also say, well, in the future, it would be better if you let me explain myself rather than yell at me. So th this is the soothe strategy, right? This is the 
you can call it the low risk, low reward type of strategy. Going to the more risk risky strategies, and again, I'm I'm saying this, you know, sometimes you know, don't try this at home kind of deal because <laughs> it may it may backfire at you. There is the reverse threat strategy where mm-hmm. you decide that you're not gonna take it. Okay, you're gonna stand up for yourself, and and if a boss you know makes a demeaning comment or or disrespects you or yells at you, you will say something like, "I won't tolerate you talking to me in that way," or you know, I don't appreciate being yelled at. It actually has the reverse effect on my performance. And sometimes you may say something like, you know, if you yell at me again, I would be forced to take it to HR. Mm-hmm. Going into the more um, escalating type of strategies, <laughs> you may decide to alert HR and, and tell them that, you know, you are thinking about quitting or your fellow employees are thinking about quitting, that you're not going to put up with this, all the way to alarming HR by by using terms that HR can respond to, that you know HR understands, like you know, you know what, this is starting to feel like a hostile environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is this what you call harassment or or something like you know? I can see why people would bring legal action if they were being treated that way, and and this um, will more likely alarm HR for them to do an investigation. Some employees sometimes are so fed up with it that they start a mass mutiny. I know this is very <laughs> risky. This is very risky, but but just finding allies on the team that are also sick of being treated that way, mm-hmm. and and you know um, coming together and saying we can't and we won't take this anymore. Um, of course, all of these are, as I said, risky strategies, and sometimes you need to decide: is is the job worth it? Is the emotional cost of of that type of boss worth it for you? And and some people decide sometimes that it's not, and they end up leaving the organization or, or leaving the position and going somewhere else where they feel that they can mm-hmm. thrive and they can do better. Thank you so much for listening. Today's podcast was recorded and produced by Trinity University's KRTU radio station for the Office of Alumni Relations and Development. New podcasts will be released on the first Tuesday of each month. For more information about our Learning Together podcast series or to suggest topics for future consideration, email us at alumnipodcast at trinity.edu.